ask you, Lord, this morning to release on this room a spirit not just of hope, but a spirit of action. A spirit that those who are in darkness and find themselves trapped, I pray, Lord, today that they will have the courage to press on the door of their prison and thereby discover that they are free. Pray, Lord, that the Spirit of God would settle upon every heart, mind, and life in a way that frees those minds from the isolation and the lies that the enemy has laid upon them. And I release over this room a spirit of freedom, a spirit of hope, a spirit of light to shine in every darkness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Good morning, and you are welcome to take a seat or keep standing or tap your leg or any weird thing you want to do. And it's Christmas season. That got here in like 26 minutes from last year, right? All right. Did, did I do it? All right. So uh, the 19th, Steve and uh, the Williams family, the Maynard family, leadership team. Anyway, we're doing an open house, a meet and greet, something at our house, 7 Big Sky Drive. We'd love for you just to roll on through, say hi, get to know you. Have any weird questions you want to ask us about us or ordinary faith, we'll make up a cool answer. Uh, so, I need to jump into this series or I could be up here all day, and you know I'm fully capable of doing that if you've been here more than once. So, uh, this series, Fear Not, Steve and I were talking about this a couple of months ago, uh, what to do for Christmas, and we had, some, we had a really cool idea that may come back next year. We wanted to talk about the villains of Christmas, but that wasn't where uh, the Lord led us, uh, although it sure would be fun. Um, but it just, we were just hearing of even a few months ago, and I think that's increased as of lately, just lots and lots of fear and anxiety uh, in the body of Christ, certainly in the world, but uh, definitely in the body of Christ. And so we want to we go after that today. We want to help, help you find some help, find some freedom, find some hope. And that's what this series is about. We'll be looking at Mary's crisis, Joseph's crisis, and Zachariah's crisis and the shepherds' uh, celebration over the next four weeks. And uh, so I, I, I hope and my prayer is that it's going to give you some courage in a season in life, at a time in the world, at a time in the world when things are challenging. What is, I mean, really, as I began to think about this series, I began to wonder, what is there not to fear right now? I mean, what is in your life that doesn't have some fear packed onto it? I mean, we look at the world and... Uh, I mean, it, it goes from way out there, from fears about the government, fears about uh, the medical system and what it's able to withstand, more close to home. We, we worry about the economy, but mainly because we want to be able to take care of our families. And so there's fear about finances and, and economical pressures. There's fear about relationships, the strain that is on relationships and marriages uh, with our children, with our parents. It's just... It just seems there's just a lot of heaviness that is going on. And all the things I'm sharing with you are just conversations that I've had with people over the last several months about the things that they're concerned about, the, the weights, the shadows, if you will, that inhibit and hinder their lives. And there's just this, this crazy amount of fear of, of what things could be. And that is what it's really about is that Things are changing. And I know things are always changing. But 
I don't know that they've always been changing like they're changing right now, at least not in a way they're impacting us right now. And, and everyone loves change that they control. We all love change that we're in control of, and we all hate change that we're not in control of. And so as you look at the world in which you live and, and you look around and your life, your sphere, your community, your country, your world, because what's happening is global, how are you supposed to deal with all of that? I mean, is it okay to be afraid? Is anxiety, should we just accept, well, this is just that the new normal is one about that's filled with anxiety? Are we supposed to just embrace this? Is how we're supposed to live now with a lot of fear in our lives? And of course, I'm going to argue against that. I'm going to, I'm going to say that as a follower of Jesus, what you might call a, a Christian, but I, I, like to, I like to narrow Christian down from the terms that the world, the world calls anybody a Christian that says they are. But as a follower of Jesus, I'm going to say that you are not supposed to be experiencing this world like everybody else is. Stuff's going on that's rattling everybody, and it's not supposed to be rattling you like that. There's some things that you can do, some things that you can think about that are going to move your mindset, your, shift your thinking from a place of anxiety to a place of peace that doesn't need circumstances to comply. Now, I know that sounds like a huge brass ring to reach for. It sounds crazy to think that I could, I could live at peace even though there's chaos around me. But that's exactly what Christians have done for millennia now. Learn to live at peace no matter what's happening. Because we as Christians, Paul put it this way, he says, we live by faith and not by sight. We live by believing about, we live by what we believe about God, not what we're experiencing in our world. We live differently. We see things differently. That should create a conundrum for you. For you. If I just said that, you're like, what is he talking about? Perfect. Perfect. That's exactly where we need to be. Because we as Christians don't think like other people do. We're strange in some way. Some of us more strange than others. We have a God who cares about us. You understand that, right? We have a God who cares about us. I can't imagine what life would be if you didn't believe that there was a God who cared about you. I mean, because what that would do, that kind of thinking, what it would do for you, it, was, it would make you your own God. You would be walking around going, well, I'm the only one who cares about me. I'm the only one who's going to take care of me. The problem with that conundrum, with that way of thinking, you are not all powerful. And stuff is going to happen that you can't do anything about. I know when you're young, you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof, and you walk around thinking, yeah, no matter what happens, I got this. Well, I promise you, sooner or later, that gut punch is coming, and you're going to go, oh, I don't think I got this. And so there's a different way of thinking that relies on God. Jesus said this, and I, I'm going to share it with you, and I'll tell you why it's so important to me for today. Matthew 10, 29, Jesus said, what's the price of two sparrows? One copper coin. But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. 
And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Forgive me, I mean, that is easier for some than others. <laughs> so don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. In my backyard, uh, we, we put out a, a bird feeder for some bird seed throughout the year. Uh, and we have this flock of finches. And the more that you put out there, the more finches show up. And they're, they're rude little buggers, I'm not going to lie. They, they just knock all the bird seed out on the ground and everyone comes in. And then I release the neighbor's cat for entertainment. <laughs> just kidding, I don't do that. <clears throat> just kid that. Well, I'm, uh, I'm looking out my, a window over my sink and I'm seeing all these finches come in. And, I, and, and that's what I'm thinking of when Jesus says, your father knows not a one of those little finches hits the ground and Papa doesn't know. Papa knows. Those little, little birds that they don't live long, they're, you know, they're tough little buggers, no doubt about it. They, they're here through the winter, but they don't hit the ground and, unless Papa knows about it. And you don't think God cares about you. Those little Wyoming finches Father knows about, he knows about you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He cares about you. That's the beginning of getting past anxiety. That's the beginning of moving past your fear and beginning to live in a place that doesn't need your circumstances to comply, realizing that God cares about you. So we, um, we come to Mary, and I'll have to speed up just a little bit. I, I want to have a lot more fun and take some other avenues, but I'll stay on point as much as humanly Michael possible. <clears throat> so we come back to Mary and Joseph and where we're starting today, and we're about to read a couple passages. But I want to remind you that the world that you live, this is not the first time in history that the world's been chaotic. It's not the first time. Won't be the last time. Unless Jesus comes back, it won't be the last time. If Jesus comes back, there won't be any democracies, no socialists, communists. There'll just be Jesus. There'll be a monarchy rule. And we don't have to worry about it anymore, okay? So I, I like the sound of that. It's not the first time. So let's back up the clock. Let's, let's get into Jesus' story a little bit. Nation of Israel is the nation that's about to give birth to the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the deliverer that had been promised since the fall, since Genesis chapter 3. And so the nation of Israel, is, is, they're on their own land, but they are not in charge of their own lives when we step into the story. And, and even worse than that, and I think really what begins the story, is that for 400 years, four centuries, there had been no fresh word from God. Which is just a, I mean, it's a, it's a terrifying concept when your nation is begun by a personal visit from God to your great, 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 however many great grandpa Abraham and everything about your story is based on personal revelations, visits, encounters, demonstrations, supernatural expressions, supernatural armies. And your whole national history is based on these amazing, miraculous things. And then for 400 years, nothing. No prophet, no one speaking for God. It's, it's just a very depressing time the people are waiting they're also in their country but they're not in charge of their lives the nation of rome the the power of rome 
is their boss. So you have Roman soldiers walking the streets and enforcing Roman laws at their leisure, at their whim. And so they're walking the streets, oppressing the people. Um, You have a temple, your own temple, the, the place of your worship. Your own nation didn't even build it. Herod, who was a wicked, evil man, he's the one who actually built the temple that your nation worships in. So I I just want you to wrap your head around the fact that the nation of Israel, when all these events are happening, is a mess. There's no security. There's not much in the way of hope. It was a dark season. And not only that, the nation of Israel was so divided. You had the Pharisees that we, if you've read much of the Bible, you've heard them talked about. They're they're very religious, very conservative. They took the first five books of the Bible, that, which had 613 laws in it, and they said, well, that's not enough laws. Let's add thousands more. They sound like Congress, don't they? <laughs> and let's make everybody do those things. And then the Sadducees were the other division sect, and they didn't accept all those extra laws, but they didn't believe in anything supernatural. They didn't believe in resurrection. They, they, didn't, they didn't really believe in anything other than money. And so you have the, the Pharisees, who are the ones that looked right, looked conservative, but they were just hard and rule-driven. You have the Sadducees, who, who, who were more understanding of the law, but had a worse understanding of life. Then you had the Essenes, who were the people who lived out on their own. They were just like, we're out, and they went and lived in the Cumrum community. Or Cum- I don't know how you say it. It's something with a Q. And they're like, we're just going to write, we're just going to copy the Bible. We're out of this. And then, then you had the zealots, and they're like, we're going to blow up everything. Everything. We're blowing it up. <laughs> we hate it all. This was the nation of Israel, man. You had four major sects, and, and riots were common. It was just a very unstable season in their life. And cue stage left, Mary and Joseph. Nobodies. Ordinary people. They're not in any of this stuff. And of course, then you have Mary come up. Well, I'm, I'm a virgin and I'm pregnant. And everyone was like, oh yeah, makes sense to me. <laughs> sure. Whatever you say. <sighs> They're poor. They didn't, fit, they didn't fit into anything that was accepted at the time. The Pharisees did not look at Mary and Joseph, and that did not fit their paradigm of how the Messiah was going to get to earth. It didn't, it didn't fit anyone's religious beliefs or systems. They're poor. They don't have the money. I mean, they don't have a lot of resources. We'll get into Joseph a little bit next week and why we know they didn't have a lot of resources. On top of that, you know, here you got the Mary Joseph drama. I'm pregnant. Holy Spirit did it. I'm still a virgin. Right. Then you have the government stepping in because they're very helpful. And they're going, hey, since you're having trouble, we're going to introduce a tax and a census. This will be amazing. You can come and give us all your money. And uh, so they have to travel to Bethlehem and all this stuff. And then, of course, don't forget the Herod threat where he finds out about him and he just wants to kill everybody. This is... The setup for the Christmas story. You get that, right? I mean, we make it, and it is silent night, holy night. It is, oh, holy night. It is, it is a starry night. It is the wise men and go tell on the mountain. It is all of that stuff. But what you don't understand, the reason all of that stuff is so cool 
is because the backdrop is so cruel, so hard. And that's the beginning of the story. Luke 1, 26. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and we'll get to that in a couple weeks. I'm saving it till later for some reasons and such. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. We'll come back to that verse out of a few different translations later. Confused and disturbed. (laughs) You're the end of an angel. Greetings! You're awesome! Heaven loves you! Do you know me? I haven't seen you on Facebook or anything. I don't, I don't know you. I think someone hacked God's account. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. Let me Michaelize this for you, which is definitely not inspired. You are God's favorite. Every time you hit that word favor, just throw in that line. You are God's favorite. Sometimes God just interrupts your life, doesn't he? You know, sometimes your life gets interrupted, and it's God. Sometimes your life gets interrupted, and it's not God, but we still blame God. Right? But even if your life is interrupted by something that's not God... God's going to take that thing and do something incredible with it. So any interruption that comes in your life, you can apply the things we're about to talk about. Whether it came from God, your own stupidity, or an assault of the enemy, doesn't matter. God can take everything and will take everything and work it out for good in this world and in your life. So as I was thinking about this interruption Mary's enduring, I mean, she's just doing her life. And an angel shows up. She's a bit confused. He tells her who she is. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But he, he, here God just decides to pop into Mary's life and change everything. Change the trajectory. Do, do you realize that Mary had hopes and dreams? Do you, do you realize that Mary had expectations for her future? She was about to marry a man. She was going to get on with life. She was going to become a mother. She was going to do what the women in that culture did. That This was the beginning of adulthood for Mary. This was her expectation. This was the plan. And God shows up and says, there's another plan. I'm interrupting what you got going on. So I can do what needs to be going on. And so God interrupts. And I was thinking about this interruption. And the question that God posed to me as I'm thinking through this is he's like, Michael, I have to interrupt people. There's no other way into their life. Think about it. We fill every second of our life with doing, escaping, relaxing, vacationing, working, chasing, running. I mean, seriously, have you looked at your calendar for December this month? Have you looked at this month's calendar? Mine? It's awful. 
I don't want to do it. <laughs> it's like, tear that out, throw it away, let's start in January. How else is God supposed to get in our lives? Because we fill it up so full. But, but even if you don't, because Mary was Jewish, she was from Israel, they took at least one day a week, the Sabbath week, and they silenced their lives. They at least had one day that they took to inhale. And if I could bring that back, I would. And so God, and when God interrupts, we have to think about why he's interrupting, you know. Steve shared this with me, so I thought I'd make it in the sermon. Uh, Gloria Gaither, yeah, she said, God's in the interruptions in life very seldom in our plans. And if you think about it, isn't that kind of true? Our greatest seasons of growth came in the unexpected seasons. Our greatest seasons of peace came in the unexpected. And so I'm just saying it's possible that there might be no other way into our schedule than through interrupting that schedule. The next thing I want to say is this. God's interruptions are not. God's interruptions are not. Everybody say not. Punishments. God. The, the Father put all the punishment on the Son. You really got to wrap your head around that. Okay? It's time to, time to let that paradigm of God go. It's time to embrace that our Father is a true and a good Father who wants the best for us. And so when you see God interrupt Mary's life, it is not to inconvenience Mary. It's not, because we had this view of God, like, well, you know, you make plans and God does what he wants, you know. And that's what it looks like in Mary. Mary had a plan, God interrupts, God changes the plan. God interrupts the plans for purpose, not punishment. God interrupts your plans for purpose, not punishment. Purpose in your life and purpose around your life. Maybe purpose that radiates from your life in such a large capacity that it changes the world as it did in Mary's case. Mary was a nobody. Mary was someone who never, she never got a platform, never got a, a big following. But God did something in her life that changed the world, didn't he? Doesn't that take a little pressure off of you? Yeah. It should. And so God interrupts our life for purpose. He's, and it's funny, I think it's always the same. I think Mary is, uh, she's exceptional for sure. I mean, a virgin having a child, that's a mind blower. And God is, God was laughing. He's going, I'm going to blow their minds. And he told them he was going to do it in Isaiah 9. But uh, what, what I also see in Mary is I see something that's an example the whole point of this was to bring Jesus into the world. And I think usually that's why God inter interrupts your life is so he's, he's planning on bringing Jesus into your world. And so I want you, when God changes your plans, when God interrupts, it's not a season of fear. It's a season of hope. We have to change our mindset about that. And I love how Mary reacted. We'll look at how Zachariah reacted because he did the the, end, the wrong reaction. <coughs> Mary did the right one. The angel says, okay, here's what's going to happen. She says, first, you're God's favorite. Here's what's going to happen. 
Mary's just totally blown away, but then this is her answer, Jude, uh, Luke 1.38. I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Good answer. Whatever you want to do, Father. Because uh, I know she knew that whatever God wanted to do, that was, that was the best thing to do. The best thing for her, best thing for everybody around her. That's a, that's a good way to think. So before we move on, I want to ask a question that I think is helpful here, that, I, that might help us root out some of the anxiety. In church, we talk a lot about the fear of God. So I want to rephrase the fear of God question. And I want to ask you to think about this. Do you fear God or are you afraid of God? Do you fear God or are you afraid of God? Now you're probably looking at me going, What? Same question, Michael. Fear of God, afraid of God, same thing. No, they're not. They're actually not the same thing. You see, a fear of God promotes a, a respect of who God is. See, God is the final judge. Everybody's going to stand before God at, at some point in your life. I mean, God is the final judge. He has the, the final say in life. He is, he's awesome. He's beyond your wildest imagination. A few weeks ago, uh, my wife, family, we took the kid, we took Kay, Kay Kamen. Uh, it's, it was three weeks ago. Who knows who we took? But anyway, <laughs> we went down to, to Moab, Utah. And uh, if you're from Utah, I'm not slandering your state. I'm just saying I like to say ooh instead of you. All right. And so um, we went down to Moab, Utah. And, and we went to Dead Horse Overlook, Dead Horse Point. There's dead, dead horses or something about that. They used to run wild horses off the point, and they died at the bottom. But anyway, we went to check it out. You know, we had a, a day. came and wasn't up for walking, so we had to do some driving. It was a better plan. And so we went out there, and we're on this, this point. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's wow. I mean, you see stuff like that, and you're like, Dad knows what he's doing. And so, I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, the colors, the deep reds, and... There was some green in the valleys and the river running through there. And, but it's up there, you know. And we were walking around. We had Cayman. We were held onto him, both hands and ankles at the same time, you know. Because you never know, man. He's, he gets an idea in his head and things happen. And we didn't want him to happen at this altitude. And so we're walking around this point and look, checking out the views. And, and some of it has some guardrails and some of it doesn't, you know. And uh, it was awesome. And that w that's the correct word for what it was. We use awesome all the time and we have minimized it, but it was awesome. And it, it invoked a reverence, a deep respect for the view and for the moment. And the thing, though, was, though, I'm in this moment, and I'm not alone. There are scores of people, probably another 50 people around. And uh, my wife and I and Cayman are just awe-stricken by the view. And I, I, I see these folks who are younger than me, which, so that doesn't hit a group at all, because younger than me is a long range, okay? And I, I see them out there, and they're at this beautiful place, and do you know what they're doing? They're taking selfies. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but when I was young, no one took selfies. 
first of all, you, it took weeks to get the film delivered, so you had no idea <laughs> if you got it right. I mean, you just, where are all these pictures of your ceiling? <laughs> then they put little, you remember they put mirrors on cameras? And then you could, and then, but then all you got was your nose hair for a while. And I'm sorry, memory lane, I'm sorry, all right. Um, they're out there, and they're in the midst of this beautiful place, and they're taking selfies. And if you've ever done this, I'm not, it's not a judgment on you, but I want to show you an, uh, an, an irreverence in it. Here's this beautiful place, this awesome place. Let me insert myself here. See, let, me, let me put someone I truly love here, which is me. We, we actually had to leave because people were literally hanging off the rocks taking selfies. And I'm like, my, my dad, thing, I mean, I'm wanting to drag people away from the edge, you know. And uh, the fear of God is that. It's an appreciation of who God is, who, his power, his role in the universe. The fact that we can't quite comprehend who he is. That, that's the fear of God. Afraid of God is that you think that God is out to get you. That God is somehow in the, the throne rooms of heaven looking at ways to make your life more uncomfortable or more miserable or something like that. And, and, and afraid of God is whenever trouble comes in your life, God did it because he doesn't understand me. I did something wrong and he's punishing me. All these kinds of ideologies. So if, if you have this afraid of God concept going on within you, anxiety is running high in your life right now. You're looking at the world and you're seeing God's judgment everywhere. I'm going to tell you where the world is right. This is a Michael Maynard opinion. It's not meant to be political. Everything that's going wrong in the world, God hasn't had to do anything. We've done this to ourselves. Okay? And so, uh, no, no, no judgment for me. I'm just telling you, God is a God who is, who is the final judge, yes. But we're in a season where God is bringing people to him. Not running people away from him. And so, it's an important question to ask. Luke 139. We'll jump on to the next part here, or I'll be here all day. and We don't have all day. I, I even have a lunch appointment today. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and she greeted Elizabeth. This is a very important, this is not a side note in the story. Everything in the Bible matters and is of critical importance because the Bible is a concise book. It's really a pamphlet on God if you think about it. And so... She goes and she sees and greets Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child, she's six months pregnant now, Elizabeth's child leapt within her womb, leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's pretty good. Uh, there's no junior Holy Spirit, just in case you're curious. There's not like, there's like the kids get one and the adults get another. That's not how this works. And here's evidence. Six months old, John the Baptist in the womb. He has a Bapticostal fit. Yep. <laughs> Write that down, Bapticostal. <laughs> this is John the Baptist. Okay, so, um, 
And when he does, Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit. And she says to, to Mary, and I want you to hear this, because this is something the Holy Spirit does in you. She says to Elizabeth, you are blessed. You are blessed. Now, she's filled with the Spirit. These words are the words of the Spirit. The Spirit is the Spirit of God. God is saying with Elizabeth's mouth, you are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Man, that's good. Now, what are we supposed to do with this? Well, here's what we're going to do with it today. We could probably do about 20 things with this today, but we're going to just do this one thing. I want you to see that in Mary's crisis, she believed God, but I want you to understand, this is still a crisis. This is what we would call today a crisis pregnancy. In Mary's crisis, what does she do? Does she go off and hide in her, her, her little room and whatever little house she lived in? And does she pull the drapes together, hope no one finds out, and hide until some kind of miracle breaks through? Is that what she does? No, of course not. As soon as she can, as soon as the news is out, as soon as things are settled with Joseph, we'll talk about it next week, she goes to Elizabeth, because the angel spilled the beans. <laughs> the angel said, your sister, your uh, Elizabeth, your Anyway, I can't remember how they're related right now, but it's a brain cramp. It happens. Anyway, they're related. Elizabeth is pregnant in her old age, and, and so Mary goes to Elizabeth. And here's another example, another step to deal with this anxiety. The first step is to, to put God in his proper place, to fear God as a place of respect and awe, to understand that he loves you. The second step is this. People. woo no amens there. No. no amens there. People, oh my goodness, we don't need people. We're in Wyoming. We run them all out as fast as we can. We need people. You need people. I need people. I need people. Uh, if you're like me, you're like, I don't want people. Like, I just want to sit in my little shadowed room and Netflix binge away or something like that. I don't know. I, I don't want to have to rely on people. But let me tell you a little secret about this little teenage mom. She was smarter than you are. <laughs> she knew she was about to go through something that no one was going to understand. So she went and found someone who would understand. You see? There you go. You're struggling with anxiety? It's time to find someone who understands. It's time to find someone who's going to speak into your life. But it can't just be anyone. I am, I am so over empty encouragement. I'm over it. You know, I, everyone's over it. I mean, after 18 months of people saying, the new normal, everything's going to be okay, blah, 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 baloney. <clears throat> I, I don't know if everything's going to be okay. And at this point, I don't even care. Because that's not, I don't need everything to be okay. What I need, what I need is people who will speak into my life that love Jesus and that love me. 
That's what I need. Last weekend, uh, well, Friday and Saturday, Thursday night, Friday and Saturday, a few times a year, some pastors that I have gotten acquainted with over the last three years have gathered at Dave Limmer's home outside of Casper. And we gather for a couple of nights. And you might not think this would be fun, but it's incredibly, it's a blast. We get together and we eat, which I do enjoy that part. In fact, I think I might have eaten for 36 hours straight. I am not sure. It's kind of a blur. And we, we share our challenges and we pray over each other. That's it. No parties. No, uh, no fancy speakers. No, uh, no great worship. We come together and we tell each other what we're struggling with. And then we, when we pray, we ask the Holy Spirit to show us how to encourage each other. Let's pray in the Spirit. Ask the Spirit to show us how to encourage each other. Uh, I never want to go to this thing. I never want to go. And I try not to miss one. <laughs> because I, I know how the enemy works. And what the, how the enemy works is the enemy is like, let's shut them in the room with all their problems and let's echo chamber all that garbage in until they destroy themselves. That's how the enemy works. And so this is an event where I, I gather with people who love Jesus and love me and they begin to speak into my life and they begin to ask God how God sees me and they begin to tell me how God sees me. We need people. We need people that we can do that with, that can speak into our lives. The enemy loves to isolate and that is not what church is about the whole point of the ecclesia. Please get used to that word. We're going to use it a lot next year. The ecclesia is about people around people loving God and loving people. Okay? Make sense? Mary teaches us that we need people in our life. We cannot do this alone. If that is you, if you're sitting there right now and you're going through some junk, and, and, and this is how it is, guys. Either you just went through some junk you're in the middle of some junk, or you're about to go through some junk. It's always there, one of those places, okay? If you're in the middle of some junk in your life right now, and you're trying to do that in the dark by yourself, stop it. Stop it. Suicide numbers are at incredible rates in the state of Wyoming. We just cracked our highest ever uh, last week in the state of Wyoming. More suicides this year in the state than ever before, and the year isn't even over yet. Uh, you, you look at the situation, I don't want to get into anything personal or too close to, to anyone in the room, but depression, anxiety, fear, all of these things are going on, and here's what's happening. You're struggling inside. Young people, young adults, hear me. You're struggling inside. Your heart is broken. You're afraid. And you think no one will understand. And so you just close off the door if you do have someone you're talking to, you're usually echoing it to someone who's echoing the same thing back to you rather than someone who's giving you hope. You've got to come out of that. What I would love to do is crack that lie 
that you're in this by yourself, that you're all alone and no one understands. I wish I could crack that lie for a minute so the light of Jesus could get through and you could see that Jesus died for this too. He, he busted this too. The lies that are destroying you right now are lies. It is not true. I know. When I was, when I was young, when I was a teenage years, I never thought my parents could understand. Like, man, you don't know what I'm going through. You have never been young. You have always been old. <laughs> always. Well, the hilarious thing is, I was thir- my dad was 37 when I moved out. I'm like 50 now, and I think of who I was at 37, and all I was was an old teenager at 37, you know? <laughs> like, man. <sighs> but anyway, my dad, I mean, I just want you to know, and parents, if I, if I can encourage you, if you're, if you're teenagers, your young adult children, even your younger children, if they crack the door on their life a, just even a little bit, you encourage them. Don't you, do not look for a reason to give them advice. Look for a reason to pick them up and hold them. And tell them you accept them because they're getting rejected hard. Just like you're getting rejected hard. They're getting rejected hard. Are they getting everything right in their lives? They're probably doing about as well as you did at their age. Right? And so you accept them. You embrace them. You step into that little crack they've given you. And you help them find the daylight. Get them whatever help that they need and step in and and love and accept and embrace them. The Bible says in James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So that you may be healed. How many of you know that anxiety needs a healing? Fear needs a healing. Mental illness needs a healing. Earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I wish I could spend a lot more time here, but let me, let me say, please hear me. Please, as a guy who is a, a consummate hermit, an introvert, I know you don't believe me, but it's, anyone who knows me knows it's true, um, who can't handle a whole lot of stimulation, hear me, you need people. If it had not been for my wife, and some people in our leadership of our church who have always fought for me, I honestly believe I would not be on this earth today because of the shadows that I let get too dark on my own. But I have a wife and some friends who are just stubborn enough and just the right amount of being jerks (laughs) to come and drag my butt out of the shadows and into community. So if you think they deserve that. So don't do this alone, okay? And uh, man, I'm, I, I would say I'm sorry for being long-winded, but I'm just not. Um, <laughs> let, me, let me just get this out and then I'll wrap up, okay? The reason we need each other is we need to remind each other of how God sees us. And and I'm going to use a word here in a minute that might make you a little nervous, but I'm going to ask you to give me a little grace, okay? 
And just, just bear with me a little bit as I bend some paradigms. You see, the angel came to Mary and he said, Greetings, favored woman, the, the Lord is with you. That's the New Living Translation. The message, which isn't a translation, it's a paraphrase, but sometimes it does a nice job of capturing the English language a little better. And in the message it says, you're beautiful with God's beauty. The Passion Translation, which is a, it is a translation, but it's by one person. So I'm always, I like translations with lots of people working on it, but it still has some great lines in it. And this is another one. The Passion Translation translates this as, you are anointed with great favor. Here's what I want you to see. Here's what the angel's doing. First of all, he's prophesying over her. Okay, it's a word that, that may, you know, it's a, it's a big word. Let's come back to it, though. He's prophesying over her, and what he's prophesying is how God, because he just came from the throne of God. We learned that from his conversation with Zechariah. He just came from the throne room of God, and he's standing before Mary. He has the latest, greatest, and freshest information on God's opinion of Mary, and that opinion is this, you're highly favored. God likes you. You're beautiful with God's beauty. You've been anointed with God's favor. This is how God sees Mary. Now, I know you may be thinking, especially if you come from certain religious backgrounds, you may be thinking, well, yeah, but she's Mary. And my answer to that is, yeah, she's Mary. And what I mean by that is Mary's just an ordinary girl. Mary's just another person like you who, who had mistakes, who is young and doesn't know much about life or God or any of those kind of things. She's just a, a normal person that God anointed with favor. So I want to take that idea and I want to go to the book of Jude and I want to read this over you. Jude writes to us, he says, Now all glory to God who's able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. That's how God sees you. I know you're like, well, Michael, I got a lot of mistakes. I, I am not here to tell you how you see you. I'm not here to rehearse the past that broke you and confused you. That was all packed in lies. I'm here to declare to you the truth from the throne room of heaven of how God sees you. And how God sees you is he sees you as someone who will never fall away. He sees you as someone who he brings into his presence with great joy. He sees you as someone without a single fault. That's how God sees you. Do you have any idea how many people can't find anything good in themselves? Isn't that the struggle we have with our teenagers as they're wrestling? I got eight sons. I don't have any daughters, so I, maybe girls don't have the drama boys do. I don't know. <laughs> that was hilarious, wasn't it? That was hilarious. How many times have you seen them just get sucked down a hole where they can't see any value and beauty and worth in themselves? And those 
beautiful children that you love, you would do anything before, you would do anything for. God sees them as someone that he can't wait till they get in his presence. He is anticipating the return of those children into his presence. He can't wait. He sees them without a single fault. Everything he sees in them is beautiful and strong and, and mighty and victorious. He sees you differently than you see you. What if, I know what if questions are sometimes unfair, and this one might be a tad, but what if the ecclesia, the church, the, the body in Christ, what if we, what if we began to tell each other how our Father sees us? What if we began to bring an encouragement that wasn't that empty stuff. It, it'll be okay, brother. I was talking to Brother Justin this morning, and I looked at him and I said, listen, man, I have no, I said, I know it's going to be okay. I just have no idea when. I don't know if it'll be this side of your tombstone or the next. Because we tell each other it'll be okay, and we really have no idea if it's going to be okay. But what if we could begin to, rather than to give, you know, we don't know what to do. This is the, the reality. We don't know what to do. So we try not to do anything. We don't want to make it worse. And that's, that's kind of a good call sometimes. But what if we did this instead? What if we began to fill our lives with the Bible and the scriptures and began to just take notice of all the cool things God said about us? What if we started there? And then as we did that, we began to absorb what God said about us. What if we began to share that with people? What if we began to say, you know, I know how you see you right now. But let me tell you how God sees you. I know you're discouraged right now and you don't have much courage. Can I, can I give you some courage? I mean, I said earlier, you either just went through some stuff, you're in the middle of some stuff, or you're about to go through some stuff. What if somewhere in that stuff categorization, you began to just dish out some courage to everyone around you? What if you began to assume that everyone around you needed the same kind of courage you needed? And if no one gave it to you, you'd just give it to them. What I've learned about God is, that we never lack in the things we learn to give away. What if we began to share with each other? So last weekend, and, and I'm, I'm kind of almost there. We're praying. I'm sharing my struggles, not just mine. I'm, I'm Steve and, and Becky and, and Christy and I, we've all, we all pray for ordinary faith. The leadership team all prays for it. And, I'm, and we're really looking at, okay, Father, not good enough to just have a plan we need your plan we need to know what you're doing and so we're praying and I'm telling the guys the things that that are just on my heart some of the things for leadership and developing the next generation that are just I'm really struggling with and and five or six guys and a couple of their wives and they gather around me and Chris and I are sitting in chairs and they begin to just lay their hand on us nothing too weird nobody nobody dumped WD-40 on our heads or missed us when we came in. 
I'm, I'm going to mention that for next time and see if the other guys are interested. But <laughs> And they just began to pray this courage into us. And they began to tell us how God sees us and God sees this church. And they began to share with us scriptures and Bible stories that were coming to them as they were praying over us. And they began to take shape and they began to have meaning for our situation. It was, hold on to your seats. It was prophetic. It was God using their lips to speak to us. And it encouraged us. And I came home physically exhausted and spiritually fired up, as you might be able to tell. I know there's a lot of fear in the world. I know God sees you. I know he has a better opinion of you than you do. I know you're not alone. And what I want to give you today is, as the worship team comes up, Steve, if you can get the team up. I want to give you a season to receive that. I'm, uh, while we're worshiping, I'm going to be at the two tables. Hallie, Linda, Penny, if you want to join me over there uh, at, when they start singing. But if you need someone to pray some courage into your life, that's what I want to do. And that's what I've got some, some helpers to help me do. I, I want to I give you what the Lord has given us. The Father's favor maybe some concepts of what the Father wants to do in your life. But what I really want is I want you to stop trying to do this on your own. You need people. God raised Lazarus from the dead and he walked out of that tomb and it was awesome. And then the community gathered around him and unwrapped his grave clothes. That's what the ecclesia does. That's what the church does. That's what we do. We set each other free. Let's bow our heads. Father, the only way anyone gets free is if they come to Jesus. If they begin to trust Jesus, and trust the Father. If they begin to walk out of their own darkness and ask for help. Lord, I pray today that you would set people free. Lord, I don't want any of our young adults to walk out of here, our students or anything, to walk out of here feeling like they're alone in this world. I don't want any of the parents of those young adults that are struggling, I don't want them to walk out of here thinking they have to do this by themselves either. I don't want any man or woman who is facing any circumstance that's knocked them low. I don't want them thinking that no one understands. Or what I want them thinking is how much their father loves them. I want them thinking how nothing is happening in their life that he is not 1,000% aware of and working in. I, I want them to know that he has this amazing purpose in their life, and that's why they're here, and it's beautiful, and it's powerful, and it's satisfying, and it's deep, and it's real. That's what I want them to know. 
So Lord, I pray that you set men and women free from the, the echo chambers of the enemy, from the darkness of the world, from a series of circumstances that are happening around us that are blinding us to the reality of the eternal blessings that inhabit us. Please, Lord, set your children free. Give them the courage to come and receive prayer. I'll be praying at my right over here, your left, at these tables. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Steve.